Turn, if you would, to the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew. We continue to work our way through the uh, book of Matthew. We've actually been in the Sermon on the Mount for quite some time now, but we will finish it eventually. At the start of chapter 6, we saw the verse that said, Do not do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Because if you do, you will get a reward. But it will be the rewards of men and not the rewards from God. I'm getting hand motions. Instead, do your acts of righteousness in secret so that nobody knows, and God, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. We then started a series of examples. We talked about giving. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give it in secret. Then we talked about prayer. Don't stand on the street corner praying just so that people can see you. Now, sometimes it may be okay to pray on the street corner. Just don't make a big show of it because you're doing it to be seen by other people and to receive the rewards of other people. And then last week we talked about fasting, the fact that we deny our body something that is good for a period of time to teach our body that the body is not in control. We live in a society that believes whatever your body wants, your body needs, your body gets. And the reality is no. Your spirit is to control what you do, not your body. So we pick it up today in verse 19. And my mother asked me last night what I was teaching about today, and I told her, and she said, oh, we love talking about that one. We just don't like doing it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Yes, we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about our treasure. We're going to talk about where our heart is. Notice what it says. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is. Or is it where your heart is? Your tre- Either way. We'll work it either way. It isn't a question of, well, where your heart is, your treasure ought to be. Or where your heart is, your treasure ought to be. It is just the observation that that is how we know where your heart is truly focused. Remember, we had a long discussion about the heart. In fact, we've had this discussion in numerous different contexts. The heart, when used in the scripture, is not talking about that organ in your body that pumps blood. They knew about that, but that's not what they're talking about. 
To a Hebrew audience, the heart is the center of your being, your mind, your will, your emotions. What is all of that focused on? When the scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, it means that your mind is to be focused on that. Your will is to be focused on that. Your emotions are to be focused on that. That is what our heart is. So, what is our treasure? Well, that's the stuff that God has given us. It can be cash. It can be assets. It can be whatever it is. So, before we start talking about money, though, a few introductory comments about money. No, not the fact that you don't have enough of it. That's a whole different problem. The scripture does not say that money is evil. What the scripture tells us is the love of money is evil. If our heart, once again, is focused on money, that is the source of all kinds of evil because the love of money drives us to do things that we ought not do. Point number one, money itself is not evil. It is the love of money that leads to all sorts of evil. Number two, there is no inherent virtue in being rich. There's no inherent virtue in being poor. At different times in history, we have elevated the poor to say, ah, they're virtuous because they're not corrupted by money, which may or may not be the case. At other times in history, we've elevated the rich because that demonstrates that God's blessing is bestowed upon them. You work real hard, you do what God wants you to do, and God blesses you with large sums of money. And actually, in Scripture, we see both of these cases. Abraham did what God wanted him to do, and he was filthy rich. He was. We have prophets who were dirt poor, and they were doing exactly what God wanted them to do. There isn't any necessary correlation between having lots of money and being in God's will or not having lots of money and being in God's will. If you remember the proverb that we read uh, several weeks ago when we were talking about giving, you know, the proverb says, don't make me rich and don't make me poor because if I'm rich, I'll think I don't need you. And if I'm poor, I'll steal and bring bad credit to your name. So there are sins that the rich have and there are sins that the poor have. And God is going to distribute his money as he sees fit. Now, having said that, there are lots of scripture that warn us about the sins of wealth. In about, uh, I don't know, in chapter 19 or something, we'll meet the rich young ruler. Remember him? He comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, uh, obey the commandments. Okay, I've done all that. And, you know, I'm willing to give him a little credit. If you look at the external behavior, I'm willing to say he had kept the commandments. He had not murdered anyone. He had not killed anyone. I mean, he had not committed adultery. He honored his parents. He had done what was expected of him. And then Jesus says, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And it says he left because he was rich. Now, 
is that passage teaching us that each one of us should sell everything that we have and give it all to the poor? No. What it's teaching us is that that, in that particular case, for that rich young ruler, money was where his heart was, and Jesus was telling him, we've got to get that out of the way. Now, we'll talk about that when we get to chapter 19, but just in case you missed that lesson, remember, while it may not be money in your life, it's something that is standing between you and God. And whatever that something is, we hang on to it with the intensity that that young man hung on to his wealth. So, with all that introduction out of the way, back to chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. The first observation we have is why, after talking about giving, prayer, and fasting, do we immediately turn to laying up treasures on earth versus laying up treasures in heaven? What is the connection? You know that we have these nice paragraph breaks and you know these little sections that have a nice title at the top of them. You know those weren't in the original, right? Those are given for us to help us keep track of where we are in the scripture. They went straight from fasting to laying up treasure. But remember the thing that connected those three examples. Where is your reward? Your reward is what you have received for doing your good deed in public versus doing your good deeds to be seen by God. So, I play the righteous character in the play of life. I come to you and I tell you what a wonderful human being I am. How I gave large sums of money, other people's money, large sums of money to good causes. How I pray four hours every day. In fact, I'll do it in the street corner and let you know that I'm doing it. And you go, wow, he's a great guy. I ought to give him something. He needs my money. He needs some glory. He needs some treasure. And that person, the person who does that, is seeking treasure in the here and now. They are taking their treasure, be it cash, be it assets, be it prestige, be it honor, and they're piling it up behind them so that everybody sees that they have it. Huh. And Jesus says, don't do that. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You buy a brand new car. I mean, it's brand new. And it smells new, it looks new, it drives new. And you drive it, and you drive it, and you drive it. What's going to happen to that car? Somebody's going to ding it. They're just going to do it, right? Somebody next to you is going to swing their car door open, and it's going to ding the car. Pieces are going to start falling off. You know, they're going to put all this salt on the roads to take care of the ice, which we don't have, but they do it anyway. And guess what? 
It's going to rust. Your car is going to rust. This great car of yours, it's going to rust. And in 50 years, do you know what that car is going to look like? It's going to be a cube about this big because they put it in a trash compactor and squeezed the life out of it. Anybody know what the second law of thermodynamics is? Entropy. Things tend toward disorder. Everything in this world is going to decay. If you don't believe that, no, I'm not going to say the next sentence. When I looked in the mirror this morning, I knew that the things of this earth are going to decay. Your house, your car, everything you own is going to decay. Anybody want to question that? You know, there are laws of nature that say all these machines that we have created and we think are so wonderful are going to be worthless. You know, I can sit there and picture, okay, if I get a big chunk of gold, gold will maintain its value, gold will be great, except for the fact that when somebody finds out that you have a big chunk of gold, they're going to come steal it from you. Well, then I'll put up fences. I'll hire guards to protect my big chunk of gold. And then all your wealth is being destroyed because you're having to pay the guard to guard your big chunk of gold. My dad actually had a friend who bought an option on a thousand ounces of gold. A thousand ounces of gold. And the option came due. And if you're familiar with options, normally you sell the option. He said, No, I want the gold. And they brought him a thousand ounces of... Everything in this world, everything that you think is so valuable, not people, we're going to talk about that in a moment, the stuff, everything that you think is so valuable that you are hoarding in your house, you know why I know you're doing this? Because I'm doing it. I have more books in my house than I could ever read in my life. Several times over. Well, I'm going to leave them to my children. Guess what? My children aren't going to care about them. My grandfather passed away many years ago, and we all went over to his house, and basically it was, take anything you want. And guess what? When we left, most of the stuff was still there. It was important to my grandfather. They were things that represented different aspects of his life. But in the grand scheme of things, everything you own is going to fall apart or you're going to spend your life worrying that somebody's going to steal it from you. Those are the treasures of this earth. I am standing here collecting this mound of stuff behind me, thinking this mound of stuff makes you think that I'm a righteous person, and in reality, it's just going to decay. Are we depressed yet? 
You know why we would be depressed? Because we live in a very materialistic society. I've said this repeatedly. We truly believe the person with the most stuff wins. And it is a lie. It is. The person with the most stuff just has the most stuff. It's fascinating to me. There's a proverb that I've always thought was almost humorous, if I can remember where it was. Proverbs 11:16. A gracious woman gets honor. A violent man only gets money. And you go, wait a minute, I'll take the money. But that's our thinking. We, as a society, like bigger and bigger piles of stuff. And Jesus looks at this audience and he says, you're praying so that you can get a reward. You're giving so that you can get a reward. You're fasting. You're denying yourself so you can get a reward. You're doing all this stuff so you can make a bigger pile. And he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Let's say, this is totally made up, okay? You do have this thousand ounce block of gold. And in this world, you're sitting there and you are worried to death that somebody's going to come steal your block of gold. So you hire ten guards, you get some dogs with really sharp teeth, you build a wall around it, and you worry about it. But let's just say, I don't know how this is possible, but let's just say that that thousand ounce block of gold is in heaven. Question number one, who is going to break in and steal it? Okay? You've got an omniscient God who knows the moment somebody starts thinking about stealing the block of gold, guarding it. Who's going to take the block of gold if it's in heaven? Nobody. So what do we have to figure out what to do, how to do? We have to figure out how to get that treasure into heaven. Question. Gold in heaven is going to be so worthless, they're going to make the streets out of it. Really. It is going to be so common, you're going to walk across it, and you're going to worry that you're going to slip, because well, it's just gold. It's going to be like asphalt. So if I can't physically take the thousand ounces of gold and take it to heaven, and if I did take it to heaven, it's worthless, how do I take the treasure and put it in heaven. What's going to be in heaven? Number one, let's beside, I mean, let's not think right now about the things that are already there God, angels, streets of gold. 
what from here is going there? Huh? Relationships. People. How do I take my treasure that's here on earth and move it to heaven, I have to convert it to something that's going to heaven. And that something are people and the glory of God. We do acts of righteousness, and God says in heaven, there's going to be a reward. We pray, and we pray in such a way that nobody knows we're doing it. We go into our closet, and we pray, and things change. And we don't tell anybody. And God says, treasure, chunk. We see somebody that's truly in need. I mean, truly in need. And we slip them a large sum of money, and we don't tell anybody. But we know they have a need, and we have the money. I've always thought this is kind of one of the weird things of life. You know, God gives us needs, and he gives us resources. Okay? Some of us, he gives the resources necessary to meet our needs. But sometimes, just for fun, he gives one person the need and another person the resource just to see what they do. So we slip some of our extra resources to somebody. We don't even let them know who did it. And we have taken that treasure, that pile of stuff that the moth and the rust and the thieves are going to take anyway, and when we die, nobody's going to want it. We take that treasure and we move it to heaven. And guess what? There's no second law of thermodynamics in heaven. Why? You know what the second law of thermodynamics really is. It's energy moving and energy escaping causes chaos and et cetera, et cetera. In heaven, there's no energy escaping. There's God who is the light, who is the source, who is infinite. There's no escaping energy. Why? Why would I be so interested in building this pile of stuff when my mind tells me that it's all going to decay anyway? Now, let's just make sure we understand. We started, right, with the fact that money itself is not evil. It isn't. You know, I have money. I have children. Guess which way the money flows. That's okay. That's the way it was supposed to be. I get hungry. I use my money that God has provided. I buy food. And that's the way it's supposed to be. There may be a time in my life where I choose to do something else than going to work every day. And I need the resources to do that. God provides those resources. That's okay. It's okay to accumulate it. It's okay to have it. It's okay to use it. But when I become more interested in that pile of stuff 
than the stuff that's going to be in heaven. I've crossed the line, and here it is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice it doesn't say there should be, there might be. On occasion, there'll be a connection between the locations of these two things, your treasure and your heart. It says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sometimes the church gets abused for talking about money too much. Okay? I don't talk about it that much. I only talk about it when we hit the context because I'm running through the scripture. And this is the next verse. All the church is interested in is my money. They're complaining that I don't give them enough. They want more. They want more. They want more. Tomorrow they want more. They want more. They want more. All the church wants is my money. Why does the church talk about money so much? Because the church, the church is interested in your heart. And guess what? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Oh, no, my heart's totally committed to God. But you know what? I get to control my money. Guess what? You're a liar. Go ahead. He didn't trust God. That's what this is boiling down to. One is trusting God to provide for your needs. And number two, having faith that says those rewards in heaven are of infinitely more value, value than this pile of stuff that I have accumulating right here. But I like my pile of stuff. And you like your pile of stuff. And everybody likes their pile of stuff. Hmm? How does debt fit into this? It's not a treasure. <laughs> we'll start right there, okay? I mean, when we get to the point where we want to make the pile bigger and we start borrowing money to make the pile bigger, then we're way off the, re- the reservation in a whole different re- area, but... For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you want to know what's important to you? What do you spend your money on? Okay. Yes, you have to eat, so you buy food. God has created you as a being that requires you to eat. You buy food. My kids like to eat. My kids that don't even live in my house like to eat, and for some reason I contribute to that too. (laughs) We need clothing. We need a roof over our heads. Now, we can have a long debate about how big that roof needs to be. Okay? I used to joke with my kids. We would go down, we'd take them down to the log cabin village. You've been there down the, you know, by the zoo, and we'd walk into this house which was probably the size of, well, these closets are bigger. And I would tell them, this is what you need. Everything else above that's want. They never believed me. (laughs) 
You can have those discussions. But when I get to the end of the day, am I spending my wealth to make my pile bigger so that you will be impressed by the size of my pile of stuff? Or am I spending my wealth to put treasure in heaven? That's the question. Now, how do we do that? Hmm. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This is a strange paragraph to throw here in the middle right here. Let's talk about eyes. Good old-fashioned physical eyes. What lets me, what allows me to see your pile of stuff? Come on, this is easy. My eyes. You drive up in a nicer car, I want a nicer car. You live in a nicer house, I want to live in a nicer house. You have more books, most of you don't have more books. (laughs) I've got a bigger pile of books. Our eyes see the world. Our eyes see things, we want things, and it begins to cloud to darken our vision. We begin to see what we want to see, and what we want to see are people that have more stuff than we are, and we begin to see it everywhere, and it begins to affect everything that we're thinking and everything we're doing, and pretty soon I cannot see the treasures of God because I am totally focused on the treasures of this earth. But you know, oftentimes in Scripture, oftentimes in the ministry of Jesus while he was here on earth, when he talked about eyes, he wasn't talking about eyes. These eyes. Remember over in John, he heals a blind man. Okay? To us, that's miraculous. But, you know, to him, he does it. You know, just heals him. But then he spends two chapters contrasting the blind man physically with the blindness of the people who were spiritually blind. They could not see reality because they were spiritually blind. So let's talk about spiritual vision. We can talk about physical vision. I think there's an application there, and it's true. Spiritual vision, though, gets even worse. Because, you see, my physical vision cannot see that treasure in heaven. It just can't see it. By faith, we know certain things. By faith, we know that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. How do I know that that treasure in heaven is more valuable than the stuff that I can accumulate in this world? Faith. What is faith? Being able to see with our 
spiritual eyes what is and isn't important. I sit there and I walk around a group of people and my physical eyes say, ah, rich, smart, poor, rich, eh, mm, mm, loser, good guy. That's what our eyes are thinking. Don't laugh. You do exactly the same thing. What do our spiritual eyes do or ought they do? Remember Jesus? He saw the crowd and he wept because they were a sheep without a shepherd. What did he see? Lost. Lost. Saved. Lost. No, I'm not pointing at you, Ben. Our spiritual eyes allow us to see people as God sees them. C.S. Lewis has the little quote about going to church and the working guy sitting behind him, you know, in his grungy clothes, best he's got, but it's his grungy clothes, works for a living every day, not a scholar like C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis goes, and I begin to realize that in spiritual terms, I'm not able to clean his shoes. That's spiritual eyes. The only way we begin to realize the distinction between heavenly treasure and earthly treasure is when our eyes are opened and we can see the reality that all that stuff is rotting away and the treasure in heaven will endure forever and I will take my earthly treasure, be it cash, assets, time, energy, whatever it is, and I work at taking that and moving that treasure to heaven. But if my eyes are dark, if I can't see it, you know, you've been in a totally dark room before. What do you do? You trip over the furniture. You stumble along. I mean... If it's a room you've been in before, you might be able to work your way around the bed and this and that, but somebody's moved the chair and you just trip over it because you're blind. You're not blind, it's just dark. And that's the way we are when our spiritual eyes are darkened and we cannot see things as they ought to be. How do we open our spiritual eyes? We read the scripture. What does God say is important? What does Jesus say? He's sitting here halfway through this sermon. Halfway through it. Just for grins. What if you really did believe it when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit? No, blessed are those who have more money. Blessed are the meek. No, blessed are the pride. Those who stick up for themselves. Those are the people who are going to make it in this world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. No, I'm going to hunger and thirst after a good steak with all the sides on it. Because that's what the world teaches us. What if we opened our eyes and let Jesus teach us to hunger and thirst after the right things. That's why he throws this discussion in about the eye being the lamp, and if it's 
either illuminating the path, it's showing us what we need to do, or it's not. How do we do that? We study the scripture. But more than that, we pray that the Holy Spirit will illuminate our path. But what if he doesn't do it? Trust me, he'll do it. Let me tell you the problem. We had this discussion a couple of weeks ago, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Just not today. Give us this day our daily bread and all the fixings on the side. Forgive us our debts, but I'm going to let the guy that owes me, I'm going to hold him to the, I mean, I'm going to make him pay. The argument could be made that we don't see because we don't want to see. Forget you. That's my problem. I can see the pile of stuff. I see my pile of stuff. I see your pile of stuff. My pile of books is bigger than yours. But nobody's going to want them. They're not. When I die, they're going to be sold at a garage sale for a quarter apiece. And the half of them that remain, they're going into a dumpster. Isn't that depressing? It's very depressing to someone whose heart is set on the treasures of this world. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit with what we want to be true. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, I would have rephrased that. I would have said, it's really, really hard to serve God in money. But you know, I'm up to the task. I can do it. I'll be the one that stands out. I'll... That's not what it says. What it says is you cannot do it. At the end of the day, you're going to have to make a choice. Are you living this life for the pile of stuff, or, or are you living this life for the glory of God? What does this look like in everyday life? Well, let's make the, the, the most vivid example to start with. Okay, I am offered some job that pays considerably more money than I make now. But I also know that if I accept that job, I will be spending Sundays working this job. I mean, they're paying me a boatload of money. Do I take the job or do I not take the job? Hmm. When I'm making a decision, any kind of decision, does it draw me closer to God or does it push me further away from God? Am I making the decision based on what gives me more stuff 
or what gives me closer to God. Well, isn't it possible to do both? Well, yeah. Sort of. Maybe. Is it possible to have the money and be totally devoted to God? It is. Once again, we mentioned Abraham. Abraham did what God told him. He was a righteous man, and he had piles of money. You can read biographies of very wealthy believers who have spent their money to the glory of God. They really have. I remember years ago reading a biography of uh, R.G. Letourneau, Letourneau University and all that, made boatloads of money, construction around the world. At the end of every year, he would tally up his books, make sure all his debts were paid, make sure everybody was paid, and he'd give all the money he had left away. And he'd start the next year. And he'd make another boatload of money. And at the end of the year, he'd give all that money away. That's what he did. It is possible to be wealthy and godly. We know that's true. The question is, if I'm pursuing wealth and godliness, which one am I supposed to pursue? We have gotten in this mentality, I'll pursue the wealth, And God will pursue the godliness for me, right? It's all by grace. God's going to do it all. Therefore, I'll work hard to get the money, and God will see to it that I'm as godly as he wants me to be. It's actually backwards. We're told to pursue God, and God will give some people wealth, and others he won't. That's just that. Those he gives wealth to, he expects them to do something with it. Some do, some don't. But what are you pursuing? What is your heart focused on? Is your goal to build a bigger pile of stuff? You know, you read about the super rich and you go, gosh, I wish I was like that. No. No. Where is your heart? No. Where is your money? No, no. Where's your heart? They're in the same place. No one can serve God and money. You cannot have two masters. I can have two friends, I can probably have two bosses. But what we're talking about here is a master in the idea that there's the master and I'm the slave. We don't like that word. That's why we don't like Romans chapter 6 where it says you're going to be the slave of somebody. You're either going to be the slave of righteousness or you're going to be the slave of sin. Which do you want? And that's the word that's used here. This master owns you. And is that master God or is that master the things of this world? That's the choice. As much as you want to have both, as much as you want to take that fence and walk that ridge of that fence right between doing things God's way and doing things the world way. There's got to be a space in the middle. I mean, right? There has to be. No. 
We are called to pursue God with every fiber of our being. Now, you go read the book of Proverbs. You're supposed to work hard. You're supposed to be diligent. You're supposed to do what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be honest in all your transactions. And the book of Proverbs actually comes out and says that you will probably get wealth if you pursue that. I'm convinced that if you were a good, devout pagan and you took the book of Proverbs and you put it into practice, you'd probably be a good businessman and you'd probably be successful. But remember, the godly woman gets honor. The violent just get money. And at the end of the day, who are you serving? Don't lay up treasures in heaven, I mean on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up treasures in heaven. What you and I need to do is to go home today and think about what are the treasures that we need to put over there. Now, a word of warning. We begin to think, well, I need a pile of money here so I can put a pile of money there. No. No. It doesn't work that way. We all have a treasure. That which we value above everything else. It can be a dollar worth of stuff. It can be a billion dollars worth of stuff. It is your treasure. What we need to decide is how I can take those books that fill up my house and use that treasure to the glory of God. You need to think about the treasures that you have and how you can use them for the glory of God. And it may be money. Let's not spiritualize this too much. It may be money. But remember, the previous three examples, giving, that's an obvious one. I give to a good cause, treasure in heaven. Prayer, I pray only for the glory of God, treasure. Now, what did it take to do that prayer? It took my time. It took my humility, because I had to go do it in the closet instead of in front of all of y'all, so y'all would think very highly of me. When you deny your flesh in order to better serve God, reward in heaven. But if I don't deny myself, I can enjoy the treasures right now, right? Whew! Yeah, and you will have all the reward you're going to get. It's a tough lesson because it runs counter to so much of what our world teaches us. I made a comment last week, and it was probably a little bit too strong, about watching the Super Bowl and watching all the commercials and telling you that those commercials are all lies. Okay? And that may have been too strong, but it probably wasn't. Our world is going to bombard you a hundred times today that having a bigger pile of stuff is what makes your life have meaning. Hopefully, most of us are at that point in life where we know it just doesn't happen. 
relationships with our children, relationships with our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, that has infinite value. Relationships with others that draws them closer to Christ, that has infinite value. Praying for people, that has infinite value. Reading the scriptures to learn what God would have us to do, that has infinite value. And just in case you think I've messed up your life too much, remember the book of Ecclesiastes. Enjoy the stuff that God gives you. Do. Eat it. If God gives you a steak, you relish that steak. But remember, when you get to heaven, you're going to look back at all those things and you're going to go, vanity of vanities. It was just vanity. Now, God tells us to enjoy it. God gives us good stuff. Enjoy it. But remember, it's not the purpose of your life. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for the word that you have given us. I pray, Lord, that we would value the things of heaven above the things of earth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.